Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. Some talk shows think all of their opinions are right. This one, this one knows they are. This is Perception is Reality. Christopher H. Bilbury is a no-nonsense, well, maybe a little bit of nonsense, political activist, local government watchdog, and all-around good Hoosier and God-fearing American citizen. Is this guy for real? Holding lawmakers accountable and educating citizens on the importance of participating in their local government with a dab of national and world politics and a little pop culture and maybe some real-life common sense. This is Perception is Reality. And this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. The entertainment for this evening is not new. You've seen this entertainment through and through. You've seen your birth, your life, your death. You may recall all the rest. Did you have a good world when you died? Enough to base a movie on? Is everybody in? Perception is reality is about to begin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this 141st episode of The Big Show. I'm your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey, and we are joined by co-host Amber Green. Of course, we are going to ask that you share the show with everyone you know. Remind them we can be found on all major podcast hosting sites. They can look for us by searching the full name, Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, or the easiest way by going to Google and searching for Bilbrey Podcast. That's B-I-L-B-R-E-Y Podcast. Also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Bilberry 318 All right, before we get into the show, I first want to apologize for any of the sound difference that might be uh, noticeable in this episode compared to other episodes. I am working with a different microphone than I generally would. I have a microphone that I am getting some repairs on, and so unfortunately, we are using a different microphone that I'm not normally so familiar with, and I haven't got all of the settings exactly right, so I apologize if it sounds a little bit shittier than it normally does. We'll be back up and running next time. All right, this is the 141st episode of the podcast, and we're going to use it as a little bit of a catch-all. There are a couple different things that are going on in the state of Indiana at the State House, and I want to refer loosely to those. In the last episode, 140, we talked about a specific House bill, and although it got a little bit in the weeds with what it dealt with, I did believe and still do believe that it had uh, value for everyone listening because of how people are impacted by what we were talking about and how that uh, how that re- plays on other um, 
careers that need licensing. Of course, episode 140 was about the House bill that was looking to restructure the licensing and the schooling requirements for beauticians and barbers and the like. So we are also going to be taking a look at what the state is currently doing uh, in a couple different bills. And in one situation, there is a Senate Enrolled Act 148 which the Indiana General Assembly voted on, and Governor Holcomb actually vetoed it. This was from last year, and the Indiana General Assembly is looking to override his veto. So we're going to be talking about all of this because for such a long time, the drive in my show has been to teach you the importance of being involved at the local level. And while I very much believe that's still important, and I will always push that, we also need to expand our horizons and understand that there's a lot that goes on at the state level. There's obviously a lot that goes on on the national level, and we need to be aware of all of that. A lot of what goes on at the Indiana General Assembly, at the Indiana State House with the uh, Indiana State Representatives and Indiana Senators is something that will absolutely affect us because these are the people that put forward the laws that dictate our lives. So we're going to be talking about this. Of course, this has been a big week in politics. It seems like each week is just another big week, whether you're talking about national politics or you're talking about state politics or even at the local level. It seems like we are just in this cycle where every week outdoes the week before. Of course, we're dealing with the impeachment trial, the second impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump. There's a whole bunch of craziness going on there. The Indiana uh, Assembly are dealing with uh, voting on various laws that may or may not be affecting us Hoosiers next year. And then, of course, we have everything going on, uh, as always, on all of the local fronts. So we're going to get into this. And I want to start by talking about the Indiana General Assembly's vote to override a governor's veto of the Senate Enrolled Act 148. If the Indiana General Assembly votes to override Holcomb's veto and this becomes a law, it will prevent local government from regulating any aspect of landlord-tenant relationships and would block tenant protections in various cities. So if you want to look into this law, you have every ability and right to do that. If I need to give you where you can go to do that, that's fine. I don't want to get so far in the weeds with what the law is. Moreover, I want to find out why the Indiana General Assembly this year is so hell-bent on taking power away from local government and putting it on the backs of the state. I have such a problem with that. Okay, I know that people rent. I know that that's a big thing. And I know that renters need protection. Look, 
I'm not going to be so blind to say that the landlords don't also need protection. All right, everybody's trying to make ends meet. Everybody's been faced with this same p- pandemic. Everybody's had to deal with Eric Holcomb as a governor. If you live in the state of Indiana, some states have had it even worse than us, I understand. But for Hoosiers, Holcomb has been out of out of control. And when he vetoed this, I believe he was wanting to appear like he was the hero. Meanwhile, he's also putting millions of Hoosiers out of work and crushing uh, families and causing massive hardship. Remember, it's Governor Eric I Hate Freedom and Liberty Holcomb, all right? And the Indiana General Assembly is very disappointing. They were called on by myself and others last year to push Holcomb into acting appropriately and letting them make the laws and letting Holcomb be the chief executive of the state rather than the representatives and senators being off doing their thing, getting paid, and Holcomb creating laws and enforcing laws. That's not the way it's supposed to be. So a bunch of people out here, myself included, were asking the senators and the representatives to go to the state house and demand Holcomb stop doing what he's doing. Of course, it was an election year, so what happened is we were told, well, you know, we really can't do anything. We're not in session, but next year, if Holcomb is re-elected, we will hold him accountable, and now we're here, and they're not holding him accountable, which is more or less what we knew they would do, and so I just... For the listener out here, this is a really bad situation, but it's not the only one. There's another, uh, a House Bill uh, 1381, matter of fact, that just passed, okay? So House Bill 1381 just passed, and what that bill states is that the local communities, towns, cities, counties, no longer have the ability to make different situations with windmill farms or solar farms that the state is now taking this away from local communities and they are going to make a blanket law stating what needs to happen in all 92 counties. This is horrible government. All right. This is not what we want. This is not how our American system of government was set up, and it's absolutely disgusting. So the first question here is, why is this happening? But I do, I'm kind of interested, you know, because everyone has some kind of a horrible renter story. Amber, do you have any situation uh, in which you have a story as far as being either a renter who had a horrible landlord, or do you, do you have property, anything like that? I have been a renter. I have not ever had any rental properties. Personally, I just, I hate renting. Yes. <laughs> like, I think, I think the majority of landlords uh, are lazy. And I know that's very, that's a, that's a broad statement. I get it. Um, but I just, I don't, I don't feel like they necessarily care about upholding their end of the law and there it there are laws there's a whole there's an entire code of indiana landlord tenant relations 
Um, and I just, I don't, I just don't like it. Like it, it just, it feels creepy because at the end of the day, you're living in someone else's house. Yeah. Right. And I get that most rental properties, like that's their, that's their only purpose. They are just a rental property. It's not like that person is ever going to move back into that house. Right. Um, but our, our last experience renting. So long story short, we sold a house before we were ready to buy. So we signed a one year lease to rent. Um, it was a very odd situation and the, we were, we signed this one year lease because the guy was getting transferred for the military, but was going to be back in a year. So it was very much, this is my house. I am going to be moving back into it kind of thing. Oh yeah. So that, yeah, that just made it even more weird. And uh, neither experience, you know, traditionally renting like from a property management company and then, you know, renting in that type of situation, neither experience proved to be a positive one. So, yeah, my my grandparents have had rental properties my entire life. Uh, my dad had a couple. My uncle had a couple. And. Uh, I feel like they always had like the absolute best uh, tenants. I feel my grandparents have had people who have been renting off of them for 25 plus years. Uh, and I know that that is almost unheard of. Normally it's a, a rotating door of people in and out. And when this, when this first come about, and the reason this first came about was due to COVID-19 uh, pandemic, most people were not able to go to work. They, they were told they couldn't go to work. Some places shut down and restaurants closed or bars closed and people were not making money. So they had issue paying, you know, either their mortgage or their rent. And in a situation, well, in, in either situation, really, if you're not paying your house bill, whether it be, uh, a mortgage or rent, eventually that's going to generally normally cause you to be thrown out of that property. I feel like when you're dealing with a, a landlord tenant situation, it happens a little bit quicker than if you're not paying your mortgage. Uh, you know, you normally have some months to go for that to not be an issue before there's an issue there. And you can generally work with them. It's, it's a little bit, uh, more of a process for them to, to boot you out the door. But basically, sure. you know, say again. I said for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in a situation where you have a landlord tenant, you don't pay, you know, this month, maybe you don't pay next month, they take you to court and they boot you out. Well, they put a moratorium on that and a lot of people were happy about that, and I understand that, and that's good. I, I never really understood what the what the answer was for the landlords because if I'm renting from you and you're paying a mortgage on that property and you're paying the property taxes and for eight months I just quit paying you, you know, great, I guess, that you can't kick me out and I'm going to have a house for eight months, but how do you still pay the property taxes and how do you pay your mortgage? That puts a burden on the landlords, and I, I understood both sides of that, so this felt very strange to me, you know, that there was there was protection for the renters, but there wasn't 
it didn't seem like there was protection for the landlords and and nobody really talked about that i could see both sides of of that you know thank god nothing happened like that with my grandparents the people continued paying and they didn't have an issue but i know people that did struggle and i know of a couple situations where the landlord walked away from a property and just said eh, i you know i've i've that's a i've taken a loss on this and so that's so a, it's interesting. I've wondered like how much local governments, cause you know, an eviction has to be served through the local court. Yep. I've wondered how much the local governments are actually paying attention to this eviction moratorium because I've seen, I know of people like that. I know in my personal life that were successfully evicted during this alleged moratorium really yes and reading the comments in this these articles that you know news news stations on facebook have shared i saw multiple landlords in the comment section saying i've not had one eviction turned down yet wow that's still- that's really interesting to me uh, and i mean a lot because a lot of the courts just weren't doing anything you know, uh, the courts had, were were pushing off um, hearings, and they weren't they weren't meeting. So that's really interesting to me. I I, I would I wonder how uh, how that went forward. I mean, I I wonder if in those cases the the tenants just didn't push back. Did they not contact somebody? I'm real. That's really interesting. I, I guess I didn't think about it that way. Uh, like if I, I, I guess I didn't know about that. Well, ultimately it's, it's up to a judge. Sure. You know, that's how evictions work. Yep. And as much as governor Holcomb wanted to believe that his executive orders were the new law of the land, they weren't Yep. because it's not a law. So, I mean, do judges, have to follow it oh no no and 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 how that would go is the judge would do what they want and then if they wanted to try to if if either party wanted to try to uh, appeal that or fight that you know then then they could do that and then that would be interesting to see where that fell that's really interesting because i know of some people specifically that were not able to be removed from their property over this. And I know that that happened in Randolph County, Indiana. Uh, that's interesting to me that, you know, the opposite side of that. Uh, and that's very interesting. And, you know, and you talked about, and the ones, the ones just for, just to clarify, the ones I know of were not in Delaware County. Okay. So this is in no way, shape or form a reflection of the way that the Delaware (laughs) County court system is handling evictions. Right. Yeah. To to my knowledge, I, I honestly don't know. To my knowledge, Delaware County, uh, shut down everything, and they did not. I, I believe they said something. I, I believe I read in the paper that there were like four jury trials last year, in, in, uh, or not last year, four jury trials from March of last year, like March 13th through the end of the year, which you know is really, if that if that is in fact accurate, that's that's pretty crazy. But that just shows how 
how uh, restricted they were with doing anything. So I and I, I do think that Delaware County probably played along with with the uh, that moratorium. Uh, talking about Holcomb, it's very interesting because I, I I can't stand Eric Holcomb. I don't think he's a Republican. I don't think that he is a a good conservative. I am I am pissed off because I wanted the Indiana General Assembly last year to push back against him. They weren't being called in, and I know they weren't in session, but I've always said if you had 10 or 15 or 20, maybe five Indiana state senators or Indiana state representatives that were going to the state house and causing a stink, they could easily call a press conference and they could have forced Holcomb's hand, I believe. But they were too afraid to do that because even though the pandemic was raging on, last year was an election year, and there were a good number of them that were up for re-election. And so what they... Sidebar. Go ahead. Pandemic and election year. Coincidence? <laughs> it's, uh, uh, that's normally seems like one and the same. <laughs> that, that's oh, funny. right. Right. Yeah. It's funny how that works. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, that's funny. But they, they, they said, they said that they got to the point last year where they said, well, we'll just wait until we're reelected and then we're going to stick it to him next year. If Holcomb yeah. is reelected, we're going to stick it to him. And of course, Holcomb was given a run for his money. Uh, the libertarian candidate, Donald Rainwater really shook things up. It scared the Republican party. He, he of course was not able to pull out a win. Holcomb still won handily over him, but Holcomb did show, or excuse me, Rainwater did show the Republican party that, he was able to pick up steam pretty quickly. And if he's able to keep that momentum going in four years, he's going to make even more of a, a of a splash. And libertarian parties are being set up all over uh, the state of Indiana. I believe they said that there were like 30-some new county uh, libertarian parties that were established in this last couple months. And so they are really starting to pick up steam. And instead of the Republican uh, Indiana General Assembly, the majority, coming in and punishing Holcomb for what he did, they came in, and one of the first things they did this year was to write a bill and push forward a House bill that would restrict Rainwater's access to the ballot unless he jumped through more hoops. And oh, it's it's not it's not anything that they put in place for Republicans. It's not anything put in place for Democrats. It's what's put in place for libertarians and third party, uh, you know, Green Party independent uh, candidates. And that's the first thing they, they did, which was to kind of show Holcomb that they were able to fall in line. And that just absolutely pissed me off. But did it surprise you? Oh, no, no, not not surprised in the least, not surprised okay. in the least. What, what did surprise me was that they were able to, uh, the libertarians and other folks that were not happy about it were able to beat it back. So now that has been pulled uh, from the uh, from the committee, I believe. Uh, maybe it made it out of committee, but it was pulled, so it's no longer on the calendar. It's not going to be considered. So that was a win for libertarians. But still, I keep hearing, I was talking to a state representative 
the other day, and I will uh, keep this man's name private for the time being. And he was talking to me about how they were putting forward uh, some legislation to try and restrict Holcomb's ability to, or or anyone that would be in the governor's office, uh, the ability to uh, continue to act under executive order the way he did. And I feel like I saw an article about that. Oh yeah, there were several people that there there were several bills that put forward to do this, but. Point blank, what this state representative told me was, it's not going to go anywhere, I don't have support for this, and at the end of the day, I'm not going to make a stink about it, because I'm not out here just to, I'm not out here to make a stand, I, I, I want to actually, if I'm going to do something, I want to be able to do it. And I kind of thought, well, that's kind of a... What's the point? A pussy way to look at it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, what? I mean, what do you mean? I just hate the idea of someone not being able to take a stand. If you are a state representative or if you are a state senator or hell, a U.S. senator or U.S. representative, if you're a city council member, if you're a commissioner, if you are sitting on a board where you are voting, if you are supposed to be a leader, if you're an elected official... And there is something that comes before you. Say you're a city council member or a county council member or you're a commissioner and there's a number of people that vote. Just because other people are voting yes, you don't have to vote yes. You can vote no. You can give a dissenting voice like the Supreme Court does. There's nothing wrong with dissent. There's nothing wrong for preserving the record for the people that might not feel like they agree with what's happening. That's part of democracy. You don't always win. Sometimes you lose. But when you lose and when you don't get what you want, you can voice your outrage. But elected officials won't do that because they feel like they will fall out of favor with their uh, political party. And they are so afraid of doing that. They are so afraid of doing that. But what they don't understand is it's their party doesn't vote for them. The people would respect that. I've never understood why politicians don't understand this. And this happens from the local level. It happens in Yorktown. It happens in Winchester. It happens in Newcastle. It happens in Muncie. It happens in Indianapolis. It happens at the state level and at the federal level. If politicians would grow a damn backbone and do what is right, even if it's outside of what their party thinks... The people who vote for these people would see that and understand that. And that is, it just, it, it infuriates me that that is the type of mentality. Well, I'll just buckle because it's not the popular thing to do. I just, I can't get behind that. So I've, I've never ran for office. Um, and I've, I've obviously never held an office because I haven't ran. Um, but my question is, going back to your, your statement about having a backbone, I feel like once you've been in politics for a certain amount of time, you know, generally speaking, like more than one term, because, you know, one term is easy, like you're sure. new, you're exciting, blah, blah, blah. But once you've been in politics for more than one term, is there like some written, un, not written, sorry, some unwritten rule that I'm not aware of where you, you like trade in your backbone. 
I, it, it's listen. I don't think it's after the first term. I I always say it is. It happens as soon as the race is called. There is absolutely a difference between candidate John Doe and council elect John Doe or president elect John Doe or mayor elect John Doe. That's super true. So um, I don't know if you watch, you watch Yellowstone. I've heard about it. I've seen various parts, but I, I have not watched it all through. Okay, so Yellowstone, there was a line in one of the episodes that we just finished the other day, and this will make complete sense to you um, regarding what you just said. So the governor in Yellowstone is speaking to someone who is wanting to run for attorney general. Okay. And, like, he is running. He's on, on the ballot. And she says, she says, running for office and holding the office are two very different things. She said, once you hold the office, you have to be poised. You have to be of, you know, level-headed. You have to be open to all of the constituents that you have, not just the ones that voted for you. You have to be stern, yet still kind. She said, when you're running for that office, all of that goes out the window. It is a zero-sum game, and the only thing that matters is that you win. I, I think that's true. I think, I think to, to a degree, I, I don't get mad at that type of mentality. I think that, uh, I think that to, a, to a certain degree, that is absolutely true. And I agree that once you are the counselor, once you are the commissioner, once you are the governor, once you are the senator, that you do have to govern yourself accordingly. You are definitely now not a Republican representing Republicans or a Democrat representing Democrats. You are now a senator or a congressman or a, a whatever, governor, councilman, mayor, that is representing the entirety of the community. And this is something... It's funny, it's kind of spun into this. This is something that I'm dealing with in a local community here on a local level with uh, just some county councilmen in in Henry County that they like to believe that they represent just the people that supported them and voted for them. And, And what's funny is I broke this down for a couple of them here recently because they keep telling me they feel as though they have a mandate to act the way they are, even if it's against the law or against the the way they should be. And I had to remind them that in, I mean, this is Henry County that I'm talking about, Henry County, Indiana, there are 47,972 citizens that live in that county. Of those 47,972, 30,070 are registered voters. So that's a pretty high amount of citizens uh, that are registered voters, but of that thirty thousand seventy, the highest total of voters was three thousand two hundred and fifty-one. So that crap. means twenty-six thousand eight hundred and nineteen people did not vote. Okay, uh, for 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 the winner. So they don't have a mandate. 
And what people don't realize in elected office is just because you're elected by these people, you now have to represent the entire citizenry, even those that do not vote. It's not just your constituents, the voting public. It's now the entirety. It's the seven-year-old boy or the 10-year-old girl or the 40-year-old man who's never voted. You have to represent those people as well. And... But Chris, that's not what I signed up for. Uh, it's, that's exactly. That's exactly. And they, they, uh, they just don't, they don't understand that. Uh... You know, and they they act as though they they don't they just are oblivious to that kind of of thought, and it it absolutely uh, is disgusting to me. And I feel as though the higher up the ladder you go, the worse it gets, and that's why we see these senators, uh, state senators, and state representatives, and even more so the. Uh, the national, you know, your your you know U.S. senator and U.S. congressman uh, from Indiana or from anywhere else, you know, that's why they get in office and they remain in office forever, and they become part of this, you know, just this wheel that turns around and nothing gets done, and and everybody always talks about it, and it's it's almost so cliche to even to even bring that up. But it's something that people are going to have to understand that it has to, it has to, we have to destroy this at some point or it's going to forever be this way. Diane Feinstein, who is, who, (laughs) who is, no, no, you're, you're fine. I get it. I completely understand it. Who is a senator from California, uh, is 87 years old and she just announced that she is running for re-election. Okay? Oh, they, yeah. they serve six-year terms. So if she is re-elected next year in 2022, she will then be 88. And that will mean her term will be 89, uh, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94. She would be 94 years old when her term was up. And the fact that people feel like that is okay and that everyone's like, yeah, we're okay, she's done an all right job, that is insane to me. Just because they are where they are and they, they, don't, they don't ever do anything to, you know, I think there would be nothing wrong with someone being elected to the Senate and going completely against the party and not winning a, a second term. I'm okay with that. Do your six years, do the very best that you can do in six years, and then leave. Yeah, and oh, and she's she's another one of those ones that's that's been in government since before I was born. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's that's you know, and and people pick on her, and, and there are a couple others they pick on, but it, it goes for any of them. It goes for any of these people. Yeah, she's been in her her first uh, her first foray into politics was she was a member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, and she um, she started her term there in office in January eighth of nineteen seventy. 
Uh, from there, she became the mayor of San Francisco. Uh, she was in charge of the chair of the Senate Rules Committee. She, then she became a senator, uh, and she's been in every position within the Senate. And she's been in the Senate since 1992. So, you know, uh, it it is... Uh, it, I don't know. It's it's a disgusting thing. But but back here on the home front, we see the same thing with our local uh, state senators and our state representatives. We we see the uh, Tim Lanes and the um, Sue Arrington and uh, Jeff Rotz. We see these same people uh, doing this. Uh, you know, being elected and then just remaining forever. And I don't know that I'm, I, people always talk about term limits and I don't know that I'm in favor of term limits. I, what I'm in favor of is I'm in favor of voter imposed term limits, elect people out every now and then we need to elect people out. Speaking of electing people out, we need to elect ourselves out of this conversation for a moment and take a quick break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the 141st episode of Perception is Reality. I'm Chris. She's Amber. We'll be right back. Man, it's that time of year again. The days are short, the nights are long, it's cold, dark, dreary, and everybody's just kind of depressed and blah. You know what always helps me out? Some ink therapy. That's right, I am in the mood for some tattoos. And when I want to get my tattoo on, I go to Abandon All Hope Tattoo and Body Piercing. They are located at 1716 North Wheeling Avenue, Suite Number 1 in Muncie, Indiana. Phone number is 765-896-8985. Check them out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash abandon an all hope tattoo check them out today and tell them i sent you No one knows. All right, let's get back into it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Chris. She's Amber. You're listening to episode 141 of Perception is Reality. Before the break, we started to just scratch the surface on term limits. Amber, I'm interested in your thought on term limits for uh, anywhere in government, honestly, local, state, or federal. They should definitely be a thing. Okay, so you are definitely for term limits. Now, does that mean two term limits in this office, two term limits in this office, two term limits in this office? Or do you mean a certain number of set years for each office or for your life in government overall? Across the board. Okay, and how many terms are you thinking? Two. Okay, two terms, so that's eight years. So are you saying that you should be able to do eight years in city council and then run for eight years as the mayor and then for eight years as commissioner? 
Or are you saying you should do two terms, eight years in city council, and then you're just done? Or four years in city council and four years as mayor, and you're done? Do you differentiate whether you're talking at a local level, a state level, and a national level? Or is it just two terms in any and every office imaginable? No, I mean, I think I think it should be per office, because either way, you're, you're cycling people in and out. Sure. So, so you do eight years in city council, and then if you want to run for mayor, you can do eight years there. Or if you want to run for commissioner, you, you know, on the county level or county council, you could do eight years there. And then you can run for state representative, which is a two-year term. So representative is a two-year term, whether you're talking about a state representative or a United States representative. So, for example, the District 33 representative is uh, J.D. Prescott. He serves a two-year term. The District 6 congressional representative is Greg Pence. He serves a two-year term. How many terms should they be able to serve? Eight years still? I don't know. I almost feel like it should just be two terms two across terms. the board. Yeah, I believe that's what most people believe. There are a group of people out there that believe that we should just say, you can serve eight years or 12 years in politics, either at the local level, state level, or federal level. And once you serve those years, you're done. So the, the point there is to stop somebody from being a county auditor, a county recorder, county clerk, and just making a lifetime career out of this. And I understand what they are getting at there, but I think that's a little too restrictive. If I was going to go for term limits, it would be the two terms in each position. But at the same time, I also see the argument that we probably should just allow voters to make the decision that voters can set a candidate's term limits because if they don't like you as an official, then they can vote you out, all right? Because... I know it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes you do find a person that the community loves that is a really good candidate, is a really good official, and the public feels like this person is doing the absolute best job possible. In Indiana, our sheriffs are term limited to two terms, eight years, or they could do a little extra if they... Uh, are a, appointed for a sheriff that that dies or leaves office. Uh, however, not all states have that. Some states, you can be the sheriff as many times as you can be elected. And for example, in Polk County, Florida, the citizens absolutely love their sheriff, Grady Judd, and they reelect him over and over and over again. But they feel like he's taking care of them and doing what he's supposed to be doing. And then so in that case... If you can't reelect somebody that you think is a fantastic public servant, I, I feel like that might be, in a way, disenfranchising those voters. With term limits, even if they're allowed to go on and hold a different office, at least it's a different office, in right. my opinion. Control is going to vary from office to office. Relevancy is going to vary from office to office. Importance is... <laughs> importance versus perceived importance that will vary i don't really see a problem with that i just part of it is uh, and this i'm sure this will will get conflict not only do i think there should be term limits specifically for congress right 
I think there should be age limits. Oh, yes. I, I'm sorry, but when the, the people representing America are not representative of America's average citizen's age. Right. You just, you can't, you can't possibly know. Like, I, I can't know what it's like to be an 85-year-old senator just like they can't know what it's like to be a mid-30s wife in Indiana. Right, right. And, and you can say, oh, well, they lived it. They were 30 once, too. Well, I'm sorry, but being 30 in 1950 is not yes. the freaking same as yep. being 30 now. You're 100% right. Just like, you know, having kids. Like, I, I have kids, and I fully understand that being a child today is not the same as it was when I was a kid. You're exactly correct. And, and talking about age, I would I love my grandpa. I would not want my grandpa running the free world. Uh, I barely want him running a lawnmower. And, <laughs> you know, that goes for anyone else around his age. Not that they don't have use and purpose and that we don't love and respect them. They just shouldn't be the leaders of the free world. Like we were just talking about Diane Feinstein being 87 years old and getting ready to run for re-election. And I know these people are doing whatever the hell it is that they do, drinking the blood of children, worshiping Satan, and they're lizard people or whatever. But it's just the perception that the people in charge are feeble-minded, old, elderly, decrepit folks at the age of 96 leaving office. That's totally insane. And another example of all of this insanity is the second round of this Trump impeachment. They have Senator Patrick Leahy running this this trial, this sham of a of a trial going on. He is the oldest living or non-living senator currently in the Senate, and he's presiding over this trial, and it's just embarrassing. He can barely hear or see or speak, and it's it's crazy to see how they conduct business this way. It is very off-putting. When you get into Congress, mm -hmm. like right now, they're, you know, they're sitting around listening to this hearing. Does your seat come with the pins? Is that like free? <laughs> right. Because they don't take breaks very frequently. You know some of these people are like, you know, they've got to stop drinking or eating before midnight before they go into an eight-hour-long impeachment hearing. Because you know, a lot of times, the, it, what sucks is for, like, Patrick Leahy, because he's sitting there presiding over this. But for the rest of them, I think they just kind of come and go and walk out as they please. So they're not in such a bad way. But for the people who are sitting on the floor, I don't know what they do. You know, that's exactly right. They have their, they have their staff is ready there for uh, a change when they get a little five-minute break because that would be very, very tough. Hell, during one of these events that they're in there for a very long time, they're only allowed to have milk on the floor. Like, Oh, but, my but God. Do they, they have prune juice, yeah, too? Right. Holy shit. Right. <laughs> 
All right, well, uh, this is going to be a short episode. Well, not a short episode. It's going to be back at the regular 50-some minutes uh, because we both have some prior engagements that we must get to. Uh, But just to wrap this up, getting back to where we kind of started in the beginning, there are definitely some House bills and Senate bills that are currently making their way through the different uh, chambers of the Indiana General Assembly that I will definitely be watching, and I think that people need to be watching. Uh, It's very important that we are not only paying attention at the local level and obviously paying attention at the federal level, but what goes on with our state senators and our state representatives and our governor is also very important. And when I talk about getting educated and getting active and getting involved, it also very much includes at the state level level because these laws that these senators and representatives are pushing forward and voting on will impact us all. And if you live outside of Indiana, your state senators and state representatives do the very same thing. And it is important for us to pay attention. You can always go to the various different houses, the state senate, the state representatives. You can look up what they're doing. You can go through there and it's it's fairly easy to access what's going on. Of course, you can always attend these sessions. It's just like going to a city council meeting or a a county council or a county commissioner's meeting. You are able to go. In a lot of cases, you're able to speak, and we must do that. I do want to say real quick for the record, I got something a little wrong at the beginning of this. The House Bill 1381, it passed committee. It did not pass or was voted in as law. It just passed committee, and now it must go to uh, the Senate. So I wanted to correct that from from earlier in the show. But that's why all of this is important, because it is now one more step closer to being law, and we can still fight this and push this back. And we must do that. This is very important, because we do not want the state to take away our ability to govern on the local level. This is not a power move that we want to make. This is actually going to be very detrimental for citizens in their communities. The state should not have this power. This is the opposite of what we want to be doing. The American political system was set up so that individuals had liberty and freedom and that the laws were put in place not to oppress the the citizens, but to help further us in our progression to a better life, a life filled with liberty and freedom. And the, the federal government should not oppress the states. The state should have state law and rule, as well as your local counties, cities, and towns should be able to have the say in their communities. We want to make sure that the state is not getting too big, and it's what they're attempting to 
to do here and on a few other of these house bills. And that's why it's important for us to be paying attention to what's going on here. And we must push back against this. Agreed. Well, very good. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you for taking your time and listening to this episode. As we always ask, please share the show with everyone you know. Let people know where they can find us. That's the best way that you can help us. Amber, you want to tell them where you can be found? You can find me on Facebook at Amber Green, and you can find my business page on Facebook at A Touch of Green, both with an E at the end. Well, what do you know? An E at the end, which is exactly what this is. The end of episode 141 of Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey and Amber Green. We want to thank you for giving us a little bit of your time tuning into the episode. We are so thankful that each and every one of you clicks on the link and listens. Please, as we ask, it's very, very easy. Just share the show with everyone you know and help bring listeners to our family here. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Remember to get educated, get active, get involved. Stay safe. God bless. And we'll look forward to talking to you all again real soon. Thanks, bye. You've been listening to Perception is Reality. Yo, what gives? Everybody turning off before the credits are done? Going over to Joe Rogan or Crime Junkies or some crap like that? I'm the one that says when we're done around here, it's my name on the show, and I say we're not done. I've got two shout-outs to make, and I bet some of you won't even ever hear them because you turned off before we even started saying goodbye. Well, that's your your loss. For the rest of you, if you happen to have an idea of who I might be talking about, please get this to them or maybe their supervisors. All right. There are only a couple big box stores in the city of Muncie. Actually, there are probably only two, one of them having two stores and the other one having one, and I'm not going to tell you which one I'm talking to just to make sure that I walk this side of saying anything that might get me sued. But I have to give two customer reviews or shout-outs to two employees that I've dealt with in the last couple days. The first one is negative, and the second one is a positive, so it kind of balances out. All right, first, I dealt with a gentleman, we'll call him Ben in the back. Dude, I don't know what your deal is. I don't know if you just hate your job. I don't know if you hate me. I don't know if you hate all people just in general, but you really suck at your job and your level of dissatisfaction and just downright crappiness is absolutely horrible and I hope that you find something that you love because what you're currently doing is apparently not it and you have been an absolute disappointment. Shout out number two and we'll call this gentleman Frank. Frank, my boy, my bro, my dude, your commitment to your job 
your duty to your store, and moreover to the customer, and making sure the customer is satisfied is a breath of fresh air. You rock, my man. You went above and beyond, and that is absolutely awesome. I hope you get a raise. I hope you become the store manager. I hope every dream in your life is fulfilled. You rock, my brother. I gotta say, your commitment to making sure that I was taken care of is more than likely gonna help get me laid, so for that, I give you my stamp of approval. Thank you, take care, now roll the music. You've been listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Bilbrey. Tune in, like, and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm. Hook up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Bilbrey318 and on Twitter at PISRBilbrey. Email khbilbrey at gmail.com. Or get off your butt and call the show at 765-546-9796. Till next time, remember, perception Perception is is reality. Reality. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.